Okay, we left off. On 31, we're actually getting close to completion. I think there's 40. Yeah. 31, he says, Always take account of your nefs, observe your actions, and repent for your mistakes. Always take account of your nefs, observe your actions, and repent for your mistakes. So, I think one of the, the big things to remind ourselves of here is that this is an essential part of our religion. And as we've talked about many times, I think that the default for many people is that they go about their relationship with Islam as some rules that they follow and some things that they believe. And this aspect of refining the self and going against the base self, the nefs, is oftentimes somewhat neglected. And of course, in Surah Al-Naziat, Allah said, uh, And as for the one who fears standing in front of their Lord, and they prevent themselves from their self from its desires, then for them, paradise is their abode. Of course, we've talked about this many times because this issue is the essential issue to the spiritual journey, is that one must learn how to go against their nefs. And, uh, you know, something I've been thinking about recently is just that, like one of the things you see in the old books is you see this heavy emphasis on the idea of futuhat. Futuhat are like openings. And oftentimes people think about it as, I don't know, like they had a dream that was really beautiful or something miraculous happened to them or something like this. But actually, a big part of this is that in our regular relationship with Allah and in our journey with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are actually openings that are really important. And we don't in a sense, like we don't wait for the opening in a sense, but we should have yaqeen, should have certainty that what I'm doing is I'm going on this journey. And I may not, I might not expect anything in particular, uh, you know, as I go about it, but it will also be the case that there will be things that happen along the way. You know? um, and so I believe, like for example, we should believe that we pray five times a day, right? Sometimes we're feeling it, sometimes we're not feeling it. We still pray because that's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We might have prayer that we do for decades and we don't really usually feel a whole lot from it. And still we'll do it because it's an act of submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And you have righteous people who say things like, I prayed in the night for 30 years or 40 years and before I tasted anything from it. But in principle, they prayed in the night out of, I'm going to worship Allah in the night 30 years. And then a moment will come where there's a fetter. There's this opening that comes. And so part of that also is like a humility, right? In my worship, in my seeking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then they would talk about and do things that are like, I, we do these things, like, we'll do this thing, maybe Allah will open it up for the person. And you don't know what it could be. You know, It could be that like a person is struggling in their prayer, they don't get much out of it. And they come to the community center and they see that there's a child who's upset. And they just like kind of kneel down, talk to the kids, see what's wrong with them, check in on them, be kind to them. And then they go and after that they find that their prayer is different. SubhanAllah, Allah, Allah gave them this opening from that thing. Or it might be that they visit some righteous person, or it might be that they go to the graveyard and they make dua for the people who have passed away. It might be any number of things, right? point is that we approach Allah with some level of humility and some level of consistency, and I want to train the nafs. And SubhanAllah, like, inshaAllah we'll have those times where, ah, now I understand. Now I realize it's something that's a little bit different. Or sometimes even we, we believe, like we might read things, or we might hear things over and over again. It just never settled. It just never kind of like, it didn't really hit, you know, it, did, it, didn't, it didn't click, so to speak. It was there, but it just didn't, it didn't align properly. And part of what happens, and we don't always know what it is, right? It might even be that we have personal barriers that are getting in the way, but we don't understand even what they are so well, so, so clearly. But as we try to be better, and we try to be better, and we try to be better, those things kind of slowly fix themselves. And then over time, you see like, oh, subhanAllah, you know? uh, So they always take, he says, always take account of your nafs, observe your actions, and repent for your mistakes. This idea is that a person, I have, this nafs is here, it commands me to certain things, and I have to be aware of that, and I'm going to try to Go on this journey. With the aqeem and with certainty. But this is this is something that's tried and true. It work it does work, so to speak, quote unquote. We don't do it because it works. We do it for Allah. But it does work at the same time. You know. He says, nobody is perfect. As a follower of the Futuwa path, you also have faults, shortcomings, and flaws. What distinguishes you from others is how you constantly take account of them. When a person makes a mistake, there are two ways before him. The way of Adam and Eve, or the way of Shaitan. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in paradise and made a mistake, they immediately admit their mistake and repented. Shaitan, on the other hand, after disobeying Allah's command to prostrate to Adam, tried to question Allah's order and accuse Allah as if he had given an unwise order instead of admitting his mistake and repenting. So this of course is an archetypical issue. Uh, as we always say that stories in the Qur'an in general are archetypical stories. That means is they provide a um, pattern that will repeat. So if you change the names, you change the circumstances, change the, but the pattern will repeat itself. So they're archetypical stories. And of course, the story of Adam is going to be an extremely archetypical one, right? Like it's going to be very important for us to understand. What is the main, one of the main things we understand from this is this idea that there are orders, they come from a trustworthy source, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this case, right? And people will try to follow them. They might make a mistake. What does a person do when they make a mistake? This is actually when it comes to tarbiyah, um, with ourselves and also with children, we have to really consider this. What is the messaging that I'm sending around making mistakes? Because I would venture to go out on a limb and say that some of our cultures, let's say not if, if we don't say many of them, let's say some of our cultures are extremely exacting on mistakes. And, and not forgiving on mistakes. 
So what is the message? The message is actually, you can never make a mistake, and if you make it, you can't make up for it. And this is really problematic messaging, right? Very problematic messaging. That if it's ingrained in the person from their youth, then it's going to have a consequence on how they are when they get older. I'm going to start to think about myself. Like I can't actually make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, there's no way for me to recover from it. And if I have that psychological, psycho-spiritual makeup, so to speak, it's going to, it's going to prevent a lot of things. Because the reality is that we make mistakes. Hopefully, the mistakes that we make are lesser. You know? And hopefully, we don't have to make some mistakes because we have enough wisdom and, and, and humility to look at the mistakes of others and realize them. But the reality is that we don't make mistakes. And what should the messaging around the mistake be? Messaging should be, I will take responsibility for what I did. I did make this mistake. I will take responsibility for it. And... I'm going to try not to do it again, and I'm going to seek forgiveness from the necessary parties I need to make, seek forgiveness from, and that I can move forward and I can improve after this mistake. I can recover from this. Right? This is how we have to look at this. Extremely, extremely important. And all of that is in the story of Adam, right? But there is a mistake that happened. There are immediate reasons. Allah, if you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, we'll be from those who are losers. So as immediate is, I accept it. This I, you know, I this was something that I shouldn't have done. And I accept that it was a mistake. I'm gonna move on. What did Adam do? Completely different. What is the so what is the consequence from this? Shaitan has I'm sorry, what did Shaitan do? Shaitan did something completely different. So Shaitan takes the khilafah of evil, actually. Takes the khilafah of evil. Adam takes the khilafah of khir. Why from this issue? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And uh, it's, very, uh, it's a very common issue in our spiritual development that we can get stuck on this. That's why Sidi ibn Atta'ala, he said in the first of his hikam, that the sign that a person has depended on their deeds is that they lose hope when they slip. What's the sign? Because what does a person have to um, uh, get settled on? They have to get settled on. I am going to uh, make mistakes. And my dependence is going to be on Allah. And if my dependence is on Allah, then when I make a mistake, I turn back and I restart. My dependence on myself, I give up. So he says, this is how you know the difference. Lose hope of this. A person's assumption of perfection is actually his biggest shortcoming. Even just recently I was talking to someone, and they were saying, it took me a long time to learn this, but I've learned now that I'm getting older to be able to say, I don't know. And I was like, subhanAllah, yeah, it's very important. That adri nisfil ilm. That to be able to say, I don't know, is half of knowledge. And then they'll say, I don't know this thing. I need help on this thing. I need some guidance on this thing. I need some support on this thing. So a person's assumption of perfection, that they think they know everything. Uh, it's a big problem. And it leads to bigger problems. And of course the Prophet وسلم, he said, uh, That the, all of the children of Adam, they're all, not that they make mistakes, all of the children of Adam make a lot of mistakes. Allah, some, all of the children of Adam make a lot of mistakes. And from those who make mistakes, the best of them are those who turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So those who see themselves as being perfect cannot make any moral development because they are not aware of their faults and mistakes. It's also an issue. They think they're perfect, so they can't see their mistakes. If I, yeah, I don't see my mistake, how am I supposed to actually do something about it? One of the scariest things, you know, may Allah protect us from this, is that is that sometimes a person becomes so blind to their own faults that out of Allah's mercy, He makes them have big mistakes.
Because everyone has mistakes, right? If a person has mistakes, and those mistakes are not causing them to come back to Allah and reflect upon those things and fix those things and alleviate those things and so on, then what does Allah do? Out of His mercy, actually. It's a mercy from Allah. Because what happens if you don't make mistakes and you don't turn back to Him? You come to Allah in the hereafter with all of those issues, right? So what does Allah do? He gives us small issues, okay? Here's a reminder. Fix that one, right? Here's a reminder. Work on that one. person is blind to it. So what? still out of His mercy, subhanahu, Take it a little bit higher, okay? Are, are you noticing now? No, we're still not noticing. Take it a little bit higher, still not noticing. And then you see, subhanAllah, like sometimes people will have to, you know, like, how, how hard do they have to fall in order to realize that this thing that they're doing is wrong, subhanAllah. And still, even if Allah puts them in that situation where they fall in that way, that's so hard. It's still a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The worst thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do to the person is leave them in istidraj. Istidraj is when Allah yumhilhu. And Allah leaves them so that they can keep doing this mistake, doing this mistake, doing this mistake, and increasing in their sin. And they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they have all of that issue in front. That's the worst thing, actually. This is a complete khitam uh, on the heart of the person. So when a person doesn't realize that they have mistakes and they don't notice, right? It's one of the big, big issues that comes. So I go. People think that their learning is sufficient, so they stop learning. That's one thing I appreciate about the scholars in Egypt. Everyone knows my bias towards the scholars in Egypt. That's why I love it. Because you can't you can't have any interaction except that you feel despair. <laughs> you feel like, subhanAllah, I've spent 15 years in this, and I'm a child. I really don't know anything. Like these people. So you're constantly reminded, like, okay, you need to do more, you need to study more, you can't give up, you can't, you know, it's not done, journey's not over. It's not like, mashallah, I'm the imam, I'm the shaykh, everyone sits in my class, I don't need to study anymore. It's a complete falsehood, right? So, uh, their arrogance makes them see admitting shortcomings as a loss of dignity and inferiority, right? Again, things become, they become muddled. They say, okay, well, if I was to admit that I don't know this thing, then it's going to be like, you know, people aren't going to respect me and they're not going to do this and that. It's always, uh, as we said before, the nefs, what it does, it muddles things. Does tashwish. You know, tashwish is like, put static. So I just, I'm just going to like, muddle this thing up. I'm going to make it foggy. So you have the, yeah, the heart is telling you this, this is the right way I'm going to go on. The nafs will come in, put some fog around. And you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Right? And then we have to say, no, there's a principle from the uh, from the Quran. There's a principle from the Prophet There's a clear example inherited from the righteous people. And I'm just going to follow that. Take the fog out. I'm going to follow this thing. So, for example, the Prophet says, The person who lowers themselves for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it literally means lower himself, but it's also the same word that's used for humility in Arabic, right? Tawada means humility. But tawada is also to bring something down, right? So, the person who brings themselves down for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will elevate them. Uh, the other narration says, like, basically, if they do this, if they, if they humble themselves for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this won't do anything except to increase them in his. Allah will give them more honor, give them more strength, more power. So, okay, I can have 15 different, or let's say, uh, what's the number in the book? 40 laws or something for ways that I can get power. You know, you use this law and use this law and use this law and this technique and that technique and this thing and so on and so forth. Or it's very simple. Just have humility with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'll leave it to Allah. Allah will take care of it. It's hard. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. But this is the path of Ubudiyah. So, you know, Imam Sha'aran, Imam Allah, who we studied in the Adab al-Suhbah, he said that he has his book on Adab al-Ubudiyya, the, the rights and the etiquettes of 
serving him. <coughs> and he says that a lot of people, they, um, you know, you have all of this sophisticated spiritual talk. You, know, you have like this level and this level and this level, and you do this liquid at this place and this thing and all of these kind of things and like all of this stuff. And he said all of this was needed because they didn't just take the path of Ubudi. So if you just take the path of servanthood, you don't need all of that. You just take, just be a servant, and Allah will take care of everything else. You don't have to worry about any of these like complexities and sophistications and all these kind of things. So just leave it to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The Fatah is well aware that admitting one's mistakes is the greatest virtue that opens the door to moral development. As a Fatah, you should be humble and always try to know your faults and shortcomings and correct them as much as you can through the practice of constant self-examination. In this way, you will constantly advance morally. So you should constantly review your own behaviors, words, and habits, being aware of your shortcomings and mistakes, considering accepting them as a virtue, and continue to develop your morals. Okay, this is the way of Futuwa. This is the way of noble character. <coughs> Again, we've said this a lot of times, but, you know, there's a lot of discussion, it seems, in certain corners around these question, questions of man, masculinity and manliness and all of this kind of stuff. And what do we always say? If someone is not grounding their understanding of masculinity in the example of the Prophet ﷺ, that's not the most important thing to them. You know, like you want to learn how to be a man, just read the description of the Prophet ﷺ every day. Free, yeah, I'm not saying you can't benefit from other things. You, you really want to know even there's like three or four hadith even. you don't even have to read the whole thing four or five hadith if one was to read those every single day for like a month, two months, three months this would be extremely beneficial probably more beneficial than all of these podcasts and things that people sell and, and uh, you know all of this kind of stuff just read the description, the long ones we've read, we've read them before right read the ones that are like the long description that come from the mouths of the greatest men talking about the greatest men. It comes from the mouth of an Hussein or the Allah. It comes from the mouth of an Hassan or the Allah. That's a Sunni thing too, by the way. And um, it comes from the descriptions of Sayyidina and Sayyidina Ali. And it comes from the description of Sayyidina Umar. I want to hear how these men talked about the greatest men. This is how we figure it out. Okay? Not all this posturing and stupidity that you see online. Allah guide us. Okay, you can lift weights. It's good. I'm not saying that like it's good. People should exercise. They should they should be in shape. It's perfectly fine. Be in shape. Lift weights. Good. Strength is important. But like if that's the end of the whole thing, and it's like the consequence of it is a bunch of pictures of you flexing in mirrors online, like that's that's not masculinity. I hate to break it to you. It's not Futuwa for sure. It's not Rujula for sure. It's not It's not the way of, of manhood that comes from our tradition. You're not going to see that. You want to, I'll give you an example. Most people don't listen to what I say anyways. Imam Zayd Shakir, Hafidullah. We would see all of Sometimes we go to conferences, you go to different things, and you see right? It's happened a couple of times. Somehow, usually, like, especially if it's not because we were doing anything useful, it's because like our kids would be with us, so you can't sleep, so you're up in the morning. You get up in the morning, you're walking around the hotel lobby, whatever. You look into the fitness room, Imam Zayd's exercising. You know? If, if, when you hug someone, you can get a feel for them a little bit, right? Like, you, you, you shake Imam Zayd's hand, hug him. This is, I don't know, the last few years, because mashallah, he's getting even more senior, but this is, I mean, he was, wasn't young. I'm talking about like five years ago. It's not not super young still. You can tell he's very strong, mashallah. And then when he comes and you see him, you can't see anything. Okay. Why? Because his shirt is big. <laughs> I'm not saying like small, I'm, it's not my point to like criticize someone, but I'm just saying like, He's going to go do it, he's not going to tell you about it. <laughs> he's just going to do it. <laughs> he's going to go do it, he's not going to tell you about it. He's going to wear something, you can't tell that it's even there. You know, 
and then if, if there's any reason why it's needed, then you'll know. And that's what it's for. That's, that's how basically most things that relate to manhood should be. Knowledge is there, it's not in your face. Strength is there, it's not in your face. Manners are there, it's not over the top. Taking care of the family is there, it's not being advertised all the time. It's just being done. Number 32. Make your own living. <clears throat> Don't be a burden on anyone and trust in Allah's guarantee of sustenance. He puts here in the beginning of this chapter this little piece of uh, artwork. It says, Al-Kasib Habibullah. Al-Kasib Habibullah. And he says, one of the main gates of the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul is adorned with beautiful calligraphy that says, Al-Kasib Habibullah. This means that the person who earns their own living is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Person who earns their living is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should remember this also. I think a lot of, uh, I've heard from a lot of people like, they feel like they'll come and they'll be like, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not as, as pious as I should be. I'm not, I don't, I don't pray as much as I should. I don't go to as many things as, as I should and so on and so forth. You start talking to them, you're like, so what's going on? Like, well, you know, I'm working like 10, 12 hours a day and to, to be able to afford, you know, my family's, my family and to take care of my family and so on and so forth. And that's why I'm not able to do all these things. And you're like, what do you mean? Like, actually, remember Sharon, he says it in the same text. He says a lot of these people, they leave everything so that they can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they think that they're so, they're so special. He's like, and you should know that the guy who's in the marketplace is more special than you. He's, in, he's like a tradesman, craftsman. He's working all day long with his hands, you know, building things, doing stuff so he can bring home halal sustenance for his family. This is a great act of worship. Kasab Habibullah, person who goes out and works, the beloved of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, you know, also we should remember that this is especially for males. You know, I know that we're oftentimes a two income economy. It's not. Uh, it's understandable, you know, but theoretically speaking, at least, the primary responsibility still falls on, on the husband. Uh, and like, that's, a, that's a very important act of worship. And that's oftentimes almost the highest responsibility wajib that the person has. You know, um, even sometimes people are like, well, you know, why don't we see Sheikh do this or that or the Sheikh more and so on and so forth? So, because he has to work. So you want to see, you want to see him more. <laughs> That's on you. You know, like if he has to work, he has to work. If a person has to, if they want to, if they want to, maybe maybe they want to work in masajid or something, but the masajid don't take care of their needs. So what are they going to do? They're going to like I know one brother that we we studied with. He's a, he's a like a proper alim. You know, scholarly person, extremely, and I saw, I saw him, and I know his work ethic, and very, very intelligent person. And and then he, he came back from his studies, I won't say where, and he taught in a madrasa for some time, and while he taught, he knew that this isn't going to cut it. And so he went and he, online, he got his master's degree in computer science, very from a very advanced program, worked really hard over the course of like two or three years. Right, and um, while he was working full time at the same time, because he's like, this is what I have to do. Right, he got his degree, and went went into uh, went into programming and stuff like that. Left his left his specialization. There's nothing wrong with that, actually. That's what he's supposed to do. If if uh, one line of work wasn't working for him, he has to find another line of work. That's his priority, actually. So uh, then w once he's taking care of his. Uh, financial responsibility, and whatever the person does to try to support their family, as long as it's halal, it's honorable, you know, and sometimes, you know, yeah, to take a, you know, I don't want to belabor this point too much, the person should support it to, support it to do sign, to sign, sign, yeah, I make effort, I make effort, I'm discipline myself to make effort, and even if I'm not making enough right now, or things, I'm going to keep making effort, and keep making effort, inshallah. So things come together. This means that the person who earns their own living is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This phrase embodies the futuwa and ahi professional ethics that were prominent during that time. So very, like these um, futuwa guilds and, and usually like the, 
the guilds of the craftsmen, for example, in Ottoman societies were also Futui groups. So like there'd be the guild of the carpenters, for example. And the guild of the carpenters is also a Futui group. So at the same time that they support each other in their business and their trade and everything else, they also support each other in their ethics. Like these are the ethics that we're going to follow in our industry. This is the way that we're going to do things. This is how we're going to interact and so on. So they would do this also. The people of Futua act according to the principle, be my friend, not my burden. In other words, they will all try to earn their own living and refuse to live on the backs of others. In fact, as described in the aforementioned hadith, a person should strive to seek his own sustenance in a halal way because working to provide his sustenance is one of the most virtuous acts of worship. There's a caveat to be made here. Come to it. While doing your best to make a living, keep in mind, he'll probably say it actually. While doing your best to make a living, keep in mind that Allah is the absolute sustainer. In other words, you should not see your, your boss or employer as your sustainer, but rather as a means which was facilitated by Allah to help you reach your sustenance. Also, do not forget that Allah has guaranteed his sustenance to all of the creation. Our duty is to seek it through halal ways. The caveat here is that this is what we're supposed to do, right? And at the same time, we have mechanisms in our religious teachings that make it very clear to for us to understand that this is what we're supposed to do and at the same time some people are not going it's still not going to suffice them and if I'm, I'm working hard and I'm doing my best and so on and so forth and I'm still not able to meet my needs then of course I should assess my needs that would be uh, part of it you know ass assessing what I have and how I'm spending my money and so on and then also, if there's support that I should, I'm deserving to receive from different people, then I shouldn't feel like a shame in receiving that support. You know, like the person who has to uh, accept zakat in order to make their make make ends meet, they shouldn't feel some sort of shame in that. It's their right, actually. And we're and as long as but but everyone should be making effort. That's the that's the thing. Okay. Number 33, always choose the highest morality and act accordingly with the most virtuous deeds. Allah says, وَلَا تَسْتِمِنْ حَسَنَةٌ وَلَا سَيِّئَةٌ إِدْفَعْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنٌ فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَتَاوَتُمْ كَأَنَّهُ وَلِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ Allah said, good and evil are not equal. Repel evil by that which is better. And the one whom between you and him is enmity, it will be as if they are a devoted friend. So this came up in the introduction. Let me read what he said first and then see if there's extra comments to be made. As we have mentioned before, there are degrees of morality. As a fetra, you should always adopt the motto of acting with the morality that is the most beloved and virtuous in the sight of Allah, as the most basic principle of your life. What is the moral act that is most beloved and virtuous in the sight of Allah in any given situation? In other words, you should go beyond deciding on actions based on whether they are permissible or not, but rather decide based on which ones are best and most virtuous. By doing so, you will be elevating your morality to the highest degrees. Let's explain this with a simple example. When someone does something wrong to you or hurts you, you can respond in three possible ways. Number one is retaliation. Yes, lowest level. Retaliation or punishment. As we talked about before, just because it's the lowest level doesn't mean it's an unacceptable response. Sometimes retaliation is a very reasonable response, and sometimes it's necessary to take that position right, in order to prevent greater harm. Number two is forgiveness, and number three is responding to evil with good. Okay, this we should always understand that um, there's like a general framework, and specific context can shift the priority of the framework. Okay, so a general framework is. Lowest is to retaliate, second is to forgive, highest is to respond with good. Okay. What if my forgiveness and not retaliation leads to that person doing a whole lot more harm and oppressing other people? In that case, what is best for me to do? Is it best for me to forgive or to retaliate? Retaliate. It's okay, we're not, like, this isn't a, uh, Islam is realistic, okay? <laughs> this isn't just, we're not meant to understand our religion as a, as a 
exercise and like traveling around fairy tale land. And I think world politics are enough to remind us of this. And this and the seerah of the Prophet is enough to remind us of this too. And I always say this. The general rule of the con conquest of Mecca was that everyone was forgiven, right? Not everyone was forgiven. Some people died in the conquest of Mecca. The Prophet specifically said, these people, this person, this person, this person, this person, if you find them, kill them. They have no forgiveness today. General population, they can be forgiven. But these people, they cannot be forgiven. They, they, their harm is so significant and so long-standing and so continuous that something has to be done about it. So is, but who is the one to determine the best deed in any time is who? The Prophet said what? When people wanted to fast all the time, they wanted to pray in the night, they wanted to give up all these things. He said, I'm the one who has the most temple. And I do this thing, I, I pray and I sleep and I fast and I break my fast and I get married. They say, like, there's, there's a balance to these things. Uh, yes, generally forgiveness is very good. And the Prophet ﷺ forgave people for 20 years and beyond. His whole message, he forgave people all the time. Anytime there was any possibility, any chance that it was reasonable to forgive the person, he forgave them. And there are circumstances where there's no forgiveness. Right? It's very important to understand this. You know, I don't take it too far. But please understand this, because sometimes we get into this very strange, like, spiritual psychology thing where it's like no one can ever be angry about anything, no one can ever be upset about anything, no one, you know, you should just be forgiving all the time. Yeah, sometimes there are cases, especially if you're dealing with public issues. Private issues, sometimes you can forgive even for yourself. Maybe even I shouldn't forgive this person, but I might for myself. Right? That's a private issue. Public issues are different. Um, there's something else to get about. Imam Shafi'i said, Imam Shafi'i, the great Imam, he said, the person who's provoked to anger and they don't become angry, they're a himan. <laughs> he is a, Imam Shafi'i is a great person, very righteous person, very religious person, right? He's Imam Shafi'i. You know, yeah, I give you an example of how righteous Imam Shafi is. Imam Shafi, he said, You know, he said, He said, I complained, I complained to Wakia, one of his teachers, about um, the Su'a Hibdi. I complained to him that my memory is not strong. So he told Imam Shafi, again, you know, put things in context. Remember, he's the one. He got the Muwatta of Imam Malik. He memorized it in eight days. The Muwatta of Imam Malik, we did a reading of it one time. It took us about 25 hours just to read it. <laughs> just beginning to end, read it. Imam Shafi memorized it in eight days. Okay, So he's complaining to Wakia. He's saying, my memory is weak. Wakia tells him, stay away from sin. Then you know what he said? He said, I realized that there is this woman and I saw like her ankle or something like that. You know, by accident I saw her. <laughs> it's like something really, really extreme, you know. Uh, my point is to say, uh, I don't know what my point was. Imam Shafi is a, is a righteous person. That was my point. Imam Shafi is a righteous person. He said, if someone is provoked to anger and they don't become angry, then they're a donkey. That's not, that's not, he's saying that's not piety. Right? There's something to be upset about. Be upset about it, just not for yourself. Do it for the right reason. Do it for, you know. Retaliation, number one. Number two, forgiveness. Number three, responding to evil with good. All of these three reactions are considered moral. Remember, we emphasized this in the beginning. Again, we have to really, it's one of those framework things in our heads, we have to get it right. All of these three action, reactions are considered moral. If someone kills a family member, you have three choices. One choice is, and they're found guilty of it and so on. Right? One choice is, they get the death penalty. One choice is, you take blood money. Another choice is, you forgive them. All three of them are choices perfectly allowed in the Sharia. Now, 
the family might make a particular choice, and then the government says, okay, you forgave them, that's fine, but we still have to punish this person. They might, out of the public issue. But on a personal level, the family has that choice. All of them are moral. Oh, someone, they say there's there's fatwa and there's taqwa. Like there's a position, it's allowed and it's allowed. And then there's a higher position. Okay, it's, alhamdulillah, it's good, but we can't look down on the person. If they do something, that's considered moral still. But the most virtuous action is to respond to evil with good. And at the same time, the point is at the same time that we understand that we can't judge someone if they take the lesser position, we should actually generally be trying to do what's better. Following the highest levels of morality means following the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, who always acted in the most virtuous way. No one can criticize even the smallest prophetic action by saying that it would have been better if he had done otherwise because the Prophet ﷺ always displayed the best behavior. Therefore, it is appropriate to summarize the Sunnah as The Sunnah is always acting in the best possible way in all circumstances. That you can say that this is a sunnah of the Prophet Okay? Number 34. Forgive even if you are able to punish. Choose forgiveness rather than scolding and punishing. Okay. Now that I think I, I killed enough this issue of, you know, there are times when you have to, now let's move on beyond. Okay? <laughs> there are times when you could punish, it's fine. But still, maybe, maybe we don't, right, for other reasons. It is permissible and moral to repay an evil act with retaliation, that is, to repay evil in kind and punish the wrongdoer. However, retaliation is the lowest level of virtuous behavior because forgiveness is superior. Many verses of the Qur'an and Hadith bear witness to this. Forgiveness is a great virtue, especially for someone who is able to punish. Opting for forgiveness and tolerance when you are able to retaliate is the best form of moral discipline. The heart of the person who is punished and scolded narrows, and he finds it very difficult to accept his mistake and correct his behavior. On the other hand, those who are forgiven eventually realize their mistakes and correct them happily. Hmm. You know, in general, it's true. Like, if you get punished for something, it's not usually you're happy about it. <laughs> kind of like uh, get restricted a little bit. I would say one issue with this is that sometimes if we choose forgiveness instead of holding someone accountable, rather than them being grateful for that, Sometimes they don't understand even though what they did was wrong in the first place. So, uh, you know, and he says, on the other hand, those who are forgiven eventually realize their mistakes and correct them happily. That's true. And I think especially with, like, smaller things, this is a, this is a good way. Right? And um, we've seen this with our teachers a lot. Right? And we've talked about this as being from the Sunnah, right? That the Prophet would get to ghafil, he would look the other way on a lot of things. Many things are not so serious that someone needs to be taken to task for them. Right? Some things are, but many things are not. And many times the things that we're kind of like upset with people about are, you know, maybe they're not the best thing, but it's not that big of a deal. And usually if we can forgive that and be around the people and provide an example that's different for them and so on, oftentimes they'll, they'll improve their behavior over time. Like I said, sometimes it takes time for the opening to come. You know? Sometimes you read about, for example, like sometimes you can read about adab, about good manners. You can even be around people of good manners. And still, there may be certain pieces of it that just don't click for you, for me. And then like time passes, time passes, time passes, five years pass, ten years. And then you're like, oh, okay, clicked. I've been doing this thing all these years. I really shouldn't have been doing that, you know? It wasn't, it's not that big of a deal, but like if I, if I want to be better, there's, there's a way to do this. I'll give you an example that might be a little bit controversial. But you know, there's no controversy. Need a little bit just to make things fun, you know? When I was working as an imam, when I was a new graduate, I had this position. My position was that I'm not going to wear Eastern clothes. Okay? I just wear Western clothes every single day. But I saw my dad wearing to work growing up, that's what I'm wearing to work every single day. I go to the masjid like that every single day. Even on Jummah, usually, 
That's how I would dress. Like a regular Western dress shirt and slacks and shoes. I go to work, you know? And this was like a principle I was holding on to. Yeah. Even to the extent that like someone came and uh, they made a donation to the masjid. It wasn't just for me. It was I, I didn't usually lead salat. You know, we had another person lead salat. But someone would pray, lead the also, stuff like that. Someone made a donation to the masjid of like a jubba. You know, like an overcoat, it's a little bit long, loose, and he's like, you can just keep it in the prayer hall, prayer prayer area, and then whoever's leading salat, if they want to wear it, they can wear it. It's very polite, very beautiful, like nice. He's trying to say something. He's <laughs> being very gentle about it, you know. And I didn't, I didn't really like pay much heed to it. And then. Over time, like spending time with people of knowledge and being around students, and I realized like sometimes you have a position that makes sense, but it's being deployed in a way that doesn't make sense. You know, like it doesn't, it's not, it's not exactly sound. It's sound in a sense, but it's not sound in a sense. And the what's not sound in a sense is like. It's, it's not a bad thing to put on something that's a little bit looser and cover yourself and like be very comfortable and, 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 and proper and appropriate when you come to prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? Even if what you're already wearing is nice, to make it a little bit nicer to pray is not a bad thing. It just didn't click in my head. Like a, you read all this kind of edib, you read all this, it just didn't, it didn't like, it just, it's even there in the books. Like in the Hanafi school, it's there in the books. It says, it's mustahab for a man to put on a, a longer coat and to wear a turban when he's when he makes salah. You know? Is it required? Is it this? That's not the point. It's the point is like if I have a little bit of ceremony around my prayer, my prayer is going to be different. Even it's little things like using a prayer rug. Like a lot of times we don't like oh I don't need the prayer rug. The floor is clean. I, generally, I'll be honest. Generally, in my living room, for a long time, I don't use a prayer rug. The floor is clean. Yeah, we don't wear anything in the house whatever. Lately I started using a prayer rug. It makes a big difference. SubhanAllah. <laughs> There's a wisdom to it. It's just like, SubhanAllah, they understood. You have this, uh, even the floor is clean, but you put this little thing down, you take the time to put it down, you take the time to straighten it out, you pray on it every single day. Like there's a relationship you build with it. It's different. So, uh, I know that I, I really felt this when I, recently there's this Turkish community in Orange County, and they it's primarily Turkish community. They they have a uh, like a retreat conferencing in San Diego. They've had it for like the last 25 years, yeah. and um, they invited me this time to come and share some words and spend time with them and stuff. And it really struck me because they have a whole system around salah. Like there's a way that you make adhan, there's a way that you make zikr after salah. You see people go and put on like different things so they can pray. They, t they pull like their kufis out of their pockets, they put their kufis on, like there's a whole thing about it. Do you have to do all those things? You don't have to do all those things. But does it feel different? It feels different. On the other hand, those who are forgiven eventually realize their mistakes and correct them happily. So some, my point is saying that certain things might open up with time. Certain things might open up with time. You don't get them right away. And we don't have to be like very harsh with people about it. Now, even I was talking to one teacher recently about something. We are talking about some community work issue. And um, he was saying, you know, like sometimes this thing happens when you know places and so on and so forth. So he's like, but there's not really anything to do about it. It just happens, and I don't think it's anything that we should even say to people. We shouldn't correct them on it. It'll just correct itself. Just keep going, it'll correct itself. I was like, subhanAllah. So, uh, I don't even remember what the issue was, to be honest, but uh, so some things are like that, you know. There's Anyways, alhamdulillah. Okay, we'll stop here, inshallah. Anyone have any comments or questions that would like to pose? Yes.
Yeah. So the base self is there. Why is it so gone? And why is it there? Do we build on it? So here's the thing. Usually when we talk about it in the realm of spiritual discourse, the emphasis is on this base self, the idea of the nefs as a base. Actually, technically speaking, the nefs is not bad in and of itself. And that's why I think it was last week or recently there was now there's conversation on the different levels of the nefs, different levels of the self. Self is not necessarily bad in and of itself. And it can be very good, but it has to be worked with. And what they'll often say is that the same capacity that can be used in bad is the same capacity that is used in good. So Imam Ghazali, for example, will talk about the inner capacity of anger. Anger. You know, so you have this idea, it's anger. If a person has anger, or if a person doesn't have anger at all, usually what will happen as a result of that is that they'll be a coward. They won't they won't be able to stand up for things that they should stand up for. And if they have anger in the wrong place, then they'll be an oppressor. Because they'll use that anger to They'll have it, but they'll use it to oppress other people. But if they use this capacity of anger and they refine it and they put it in the right place, then that will lead them to courage. So is that anger as something you mentioned? Is it just a place of anger? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I haven't thought of one. It is like a, it's like an extreme arrogance. Some level, yeah, you can say that. Yeah, that's that's what, and, and that's why we're called to do that. Right? Is to we have this we, we have this capacity inside of us. Either it will call us to our if it's left to its own devices, if it's not attended to, if it, if we don't realize that we have shortcomings. Because sometimes this is the issue. Sometimes people are ostensibly doing really good things. Right? They're doing good things, but there's great evil that's like underlying those good things. That's why it's so scary, right? We could, maybe that's why I'm doing things. Maybe I'm doing things because I want people to look at me and like, you know, praise me and stuff like that. So I have to be aware of this. Um, and if if those <coughs> tendencies are left to, you know, it's like we have tendencies, and if they are encouraged in one way or another, or left in one way or another, what starts off as a passing thing becomes more solidified. When it becomes more solidified, it's, it's harder to, on the good side or the bad side, it's harder to change it. Um, but the nefs can become, of course, the, 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 the most purified and greatest nefs ever, of course, is that of the prophets alone. So completely, completely uh, pure. And that's a matter, it's not only a matter, though, of our own effort. We're required to make effort. And it's also a matter of tawfiq, I guess, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think that's part of making the effort, is recognizing that I'm going to make this effort. And I think sometimes when we're not, sometimes, okay, not all the time, but sometimes when we're not making progress on certain things internally, sometimes there's too much dependence on myself. So I'm the one that's going to fix this. Okay, it's good to take responsibility that I'm going to fix it, but I'm going to put the effort, I'm going to take responsibility, and yeah, Allah help me fix this. 
that it changes, you know. Maybe the effort didn't change, like the responsibility is the same, the effort is the same, so on and so forth, but I realized I need Allah's help to fix it. And that, that, um, help the person. But yeah, the nafs can go either way. And the Qur'an is filled with examples. And oftentimes, when you have examples of the prophets, you have their foil. You have their, the other side. It's in storytelling they do it too, right? So you have, you have like, Musa, and you have Fir'aun. And you have Harun, and you have, I don't know, his side would be, but like you have Qarun, you have Haman, you have these different sides to um, how these things can play out. Allah help us to overcome ourselves. Thank you to One of the challenges of retaliation is that you, in a sense, you're working in the same system, right? So, it, what what starts off as reasonable retaliation can end up somewhere else. It can become like, you know, but that's true for a lot of things. In the end of the day, that's why this whole nefs issue is so important. And the, the nefs is not going anywhere, so. Uh, we have to be, we have to recognize that there's a constant awareness that has to be, we have to be careful. And, okay, why am I doing this? And always asking that question. Why am I, not to the point that it becomes some sort of paralysis, but like enough that I'm aware of it. Why am I doing this? Thinking about this one. But it's called, it's all directly specific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Is all correcting considered retaliation? So, could, could, could you say here public issues versus private issues? If it's a public issue, it's a recognition. Always viewed as retaliation, or is it viewed as trying to correct the wrong? Right. That's the, so, it's not retaliation. Retaliation is retaliation. Yeah, I mean, I think the. The translation, and I think the idea is that someone did something they shouldn't have done, and you're taking them to account for it. Right? So sometimes that's retaliation. Sometimes it's just you're taking them to account for it. And like I like I said before, is that sometimes sometimes that's necessary to do. Right? This can be the general the general pattern, the general hierarchy can be taking them to account as the lowest level, then forgiveness, then responding with good, fine. But there could be cases where we have to respond with taking them to account. So, and it wouldn't be worse, necessarily. So this is this is how we're doing islah now. This is how we're fixing, improving the situation. And how do you fight that that gaslighting tendency? Right? Is that all of these are acceptable responses? So if I'm if what I'm doing is an acceptable response, you have to deal with it. It's not that you can like, oh, but you should do this. You should no. It's an acceptable response. Don't don't make it seem like it's not. So to maybe like flesh out a little more like why the nest was created by Allah the way it was, um, it has a great capacity for like fulfilling desire, right? It's like people will drive from here to LA just because they like a certain coffee place, you know, on a Sunday or something like that, right? And so like Ghazali talks about it like a, a wild horse that you need to bring so that you make it work for you. Because if you can reframe that and your desire is to seek the pleasure and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it's like you're super fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, someone else in my life was telling me, she said, uh, 
like go easy on your nafs because it's the animal that you're riding to your destination. Like at the end of the day, you don't want to. You want to train it because it's, it's what's going to take you there. 